welcome to this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. Hello, this is Chris Holly, one of the Cardiothoracic Surgery Fellows at the University of Colorado. Today on the TSRA podcast series, I'll be discussing early stage non-small cell lung cancer with Dr. Michael Wyant, Professor, Cardiothoracic Surgery at the University of Colorado. Dr. Wyant's expertise is in benign and malignant esophageal surgery, minimally invasive thoracic procedures, neoplasms of the lung and mediastinum, as well as chest wall resection and reconstruction, and surgery for end-stage lung disease. Dr. Wyant, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Chris. Dr. Wyant, we'll begin with a brief case scenario. A 59-year-old male is referred to you after a peripheral 2.5 centimeter nodule in the right middle lobe is identified on a screening chest CT. His past medical history is significant for coronary artery disease requiring PCI with a stent five years prior, hypertension, and diabetes. He has a 40-pack year smoking history and quit smoking five years ago. What would be your approach to this type of patient? Well, my initial approach would be obviously taking a history and physical to gauge um, any additional medical problems that we haven't uncovered. Also, to identify you know, a, a, a thorough impression of his functional status. I mean, he's a 59-year-old, in our mind, is a young man with several significant medical problems. So I would, uh, at the beginning of the workup, would want to understand his functional status as whether he can, how mobile he is, whether he lives alone, um, and other, uh, other assessments of his uh, capabilities of uh, achieving his daily life. And beyond that then, um, uh, he came to us with a screening chest CT showing a 2.5 centimeter nodule. I'd wanna look at the scan myself and uh, see what the characteristics of the nodule are. Is it speculated? Does it have the features of a lung cancer? He certainly has a smoking history and a high enough risk factors to uh, develop a lung cancer at 59 years old. Uh, and if I did confirm that the lesion truly looked uh, suspicious, uh, I, may, um, I may then get a PET scan. The, the caveat to that is that if this is his initial scan and he had respiratory symptoms suggestive of a pneumonia or other recent infectious process, I may uh, give him a, a time about three to four weeks to get another CT scan to see the evolution of the lesion. Okay, and uh, thank you, Dr. Wyant. And as you know, um, you know, in early stage non-small cell lung cancer, uh, greater than 80% of patients can be uh, asymptomatic. Are there specific symptoms that you would look for uh, that would be concerning for malignancy versus other processes that you mentioned? Well, in, in a localized malignancy, you're right, there are not many symptoms, but I think it does behoove us to uh, assess these patients on our physical exams and history to try to uncover a more advanced disease, such as uh, hoarseness of the voice, hemoptysis, uh, also uh, neurologic symptoms uh, may point to things such as brain metastases. So the patient undergoes a biopsy which confirms non-small cell lung cancer and on imaging the nodule is noted to be FDG avid with an SUV of 5. What further testing would you perform for this patient prior to proceeding with surgical resection? I would, uh, in a 2.5 centimeter lesion that appears solid and FTG avid, um, I would uh, get an MRI of the brain. Um, and that is a somewhat debatable step. However, a definable proportion of patients with early stage lung cancer still have uh, brain metastases. And, and so I would uh, obtain that. 
um, I would want to know more about the PET scan regarding the suspicion level for his mediastinal lymph nodes. Um, but the initial, uh, at least staging testing would be MRIs of the brain. Then uh, obviously the, the physiologic testing of the patient would be tailored to his lungs and coronary artery disease, uh, getting uh, pulmonary function testing and uh, probably a echocardiogram as well as a stress test given his prior cardiac history. Okay, and uh, what is your approach to mediastinal lymph node staging in patients such as this? In particular, patients who have no evidence of um, disease seen on PET imaging, how do you approach mediastinal staging? That's a good question. I, in, I use, um, you have to think about the probability of the patient's lesion um, demonstrating mediastinal lymph nodes in the setting of a negative PET scan in that area. And a PET scan is only approximately 85% accurate in illustrating mediastinal lymph node disease. And so I, I believe that some additional invasive mediastinal lymph node staging is warranted in a patient such as this. It's a 2.5 centimeter nodule. It's actually on the, the large side. Uh, and I think it does represent a risk of mediastinal lymph node metastasis. And so I would um, either do uh, an endobronchial ultrasound to stage the media, mediastinal lymph nodes um, and uh, would be, have a very low threshold to perform a mediastinoscopy at the time of uh, surgical staging and resection. How do you feel about uh, sampling the lymph nodes with, as you mentioned, an EBIS with an FNA? Uh, I think it is a good first step, and if you have um, a capable pathology team and you have experience with EBUS, I think that you, um, you can identify patients with mediastinal lymph node disease, and, and if you do, you save them um, an invasive procedure. However, um, I think it is, it, it is challenging to get um, very skilled pathologists for rapid onsite cytology, um, and I think that Again, any suspicion of mediastinal lymph node disease and negative uh, endobronchial ultrasound biopsies would lead me to still perform a mediastinoscopy. Okay, so that answers my next question, which was how would you uh, proceed if the EBIS showed just benign lymph tissue? Um, would your recommendation, uh, so that I would assume then that if the answer from the EBIS FNA came back inconclusive, then you would also proceed with a mediastinoscopy? Correct. Now, I, I do stratify patients, though, in that if you have a, you know, a sub-centimeter lesion that is growing, um, you, you can't really assess it by PET scan, that lesion in itself represents a very low risk for mediastinal lymph node metastases. And under those circumstances, I may consider um, avoiding the mediastinoscopy. Namely, uh, if you look at a right-sided lesion, you have access to 95% of the mediastinal lymph nodes using a, a VATS approach or right-sided approach of any kind. Um, and, and, and so I, I will often, with no suspicion on imaging of mediastinal lymph node involvement, perform a lymph node uh, dissection at the time of resection of these lesions. In the patient you mentioned who has the small uh, subcentimeter nodule, if there was hilar adenopathy seen on CT scan, which was not pet avid, would you still sample these nodes, or do you feel that that? Absolutely, I would sample those nodes. I think it really behooves us to be as thorough as possible in our attempts to stage the patient's tumor. We are 
really trying to identify patients that would benefit from additional therapy beyond surgery, and that really is the bottom line. And how would your approach change if a five millimeter adrenal nodule was seen on PET-CT? Um, I think that our imaging studies are sensitive enough uh, in the year 2017 to allow us to image an adrenal nodule and, and get a very reasonable impression of whether this represents a metastasis or an adrenal adenoma. And, and I would go to um, the lengths of getting the appropriate imaging studies focusing on the adrenal gland and I would let the radiologist interpretation guide me there. It's unlikely that a five millimeter nodule would be FDG avid on a PET scan. Um, and if there was a reasonable impression of an adrenal adenoma, I would uh, continue on with, uh, with the treatment of the localized lung cancer. So in the setting of high resolution imaging, you feel that an uh, FNA is unnecessary if the characteristics are consistent with an adenoma? That's correct. Okay. Returning to our patient, he's found to have only the previously mentioned 2.5 centimeter nodule in the right middle lobe, which has been confirmed on pathology to be non-small cell lung cancer. There is no lymphadenopathy or evidence of metastatic disease seen on his imaging, and he is clinically staged as a T1B N0M0 stage 1A. His cardiac stress test is unremarkable, and he is scheduled for surgical resection. We discussed this a little bit before, but what patients require pulmonary function testing prior to lobectomy, and specifically what parameters are you looking for in his PFTs to ensure that he is a surgical candidate? I think all patients require baseline pulmonary function testing with spirometry and diffusion capacity prior to resection. I think there is subsets of patients who have abnormal pulmonary function testing who are not on oxygen, who demonstrate reasonable physical function. Um, and I think that it helps in your discussion of identifying or discussion of risk after the surgery if you understand what their baseline pulmonary function testing is. Um, acceptable limits, in, in my opinion, are uh, post-operative predicted values where from an FEV1 you don't want to go below 800 cc's and from a DLCO, uh, an adjusted DLCO of 40% or below represents, at least uh, based on published data, an increased risk of resection. So you mentioned uh, 800 cc's of FEV1, which I believe correlates to approximately 40% predicted postoperative function. Uh, there's been some recent suggestion that patients with postoperative predicted FEV1 as low as 30% can be tolerated or still scheduled for resection. Has this been something that you have seen or have, has altered your practice? Yes, uh, I have. I, and again, I think that looking at pulmonary function tests as a blanket statement doesn't help you with the individual patient in front of you. And when you are faced with abnormal uh, pulmonary function values, you then have to dig deeper, which means further evaluating the patient with um, potentially exercise testing, such as a six-minute walk test. You may also find that patients who have very low FEV1s have heterogeneous emphysema, and I would uh, routinely uh, in patients who have significantly abnormal pulmonary function testing get additional evaluations of their lung function such as a quantitative VQ scan or a six-minute walk test to measure um, the potential for desaturation. Do you ever perform uh, VO2 max testing to determine? I only very rarely do that as it's a fairly difficult test to achieve with reliable reproduction. So our patient was found to have an FEV1 of 90% predicted and a DLCO of 95% predicted. In this patient with a 2.5 centimeter nodule, what with no evidence of metastatic disease, what operation would you offer this patient? 
I would offer this uh, patient an operation where if, uh, if I have, was not satisfied with the preoperative mediastinal staging, offer an operation that began with mediastinal staging of some kind, endobronchial ultrasound or mediastinoscopy, followed by um, a lobectomy. Now, we haven't discussed uh, yet, we, we do have a tissue diagnosis, if I that remember is correct. correctly here. So, with a tissue diagnosis, I think that then, um, and this lesion is in the, the middle lobe, uh, the operation would be a mediastinal staging procedure followed by a uh, lobectomy of uh, the lobe where the tumor is. Is there a role for sublobar resection in early stage non-small cell lung cancer? Not necessarily this specific patient, but in uh, specific uh, patients? I do, I do think there is. And, and again, I think that goes with um, the individualization and personalization of how we decide um, on these operations. And that I think that it's reasonable to, to go into the workup and evaluation of a patient thinking that lobectomy is going to be the gold standard and the operation. But you may find uh, smaller lesions um, that are located well within a definable uh, anatomical segment of a lobe that is resectable. And I think uh, it is reasonable to consider sublobar resections in some of those patients. Now, in this patient with a 2.5 centimeter lesion, um, it is unlikely I would consider a sublobar resection in this patient. How would you approach the patient who has early stage non-small cell lung cancer that is resectable but is in a central location such that a standard lobectomy would be unable to achieve a standard surgical margin or R0 resection? Does this patient require a pneumonectomy? I, I don't hesitate to perform a pneumonectomy in patients who I believe I can perform an R0 resection on, um, assuming obviously their mediastinal uh, staging is, is clean. I have no hesitation in patients who are physically and functionally fit enough to require a pneumonectomy to do it. I feel that really nearly all long-term survivors of lung cancer have had surgical resection somewhere in the treatment path during their workup. And I firmly believe that, at least in the year 2017, that surgical resection uh, still represents the highest chance of cure. Would you consider performing a sleeve resection in order to achieve a negative surgical margin? Yes, absolutely. I think every attempt we can entertain to perform lung-preserving surgery in these settings is worthwhile, but it should not be compromised for distance of margins and any compromise in our ability to perform an R0 resection. So returning to our patient, he was scheduled for a right middle lobectomy and underwent the preoperative mediastinoscopy, as you mentioned. Could you describe your surgical approach to this operation, and are there any potential tips or pitfalls that you can... Uh, advise our listeners to avoid? Um, you said mediastinoscopy? Uh, the right middle lobectomy. Okay. Well, I, I would um, perform an operation such as this uh, minimally invasively. I don't see a reason why it would not be um, expected to be done so. Um, and a minimally invasive operation to me, the success begins with the positioning of the patient with appropriate um, positioning on the bed, the break of the bed, and um, also positioning of the arm and the scapula, allowing a large area of possible working incisions in the axilla. Um, once that is done, then uh, I, you know the placement of the camera and working ports is important to me. Mostly, I think <clears throat> the advice I would give would be that the constellation of port sites should be in a position where you consistently are able to 
achieve the operation yourself. There are many different sequences um, and methods in vaslobectomy, and really what I would suggest is find the sequence of, uh, of events in the operation that works best for you and make sure that is reproducible. I will uh, say perform uh, you know, the dissection of the vein first, followed by the bronchus, followed by the artery, and most people do it in that order for a middle lobe. Um, and I will usually put the staplers in a particular port site. One, um, one way I have of, of checking my methods is that if I'm unable to transect one of these structures from my standard port site that I put a stapler through, I take a step back and reevaluate. Meaning, if I'm not able to do it the same way every time, that makes me start to t take a step back and try to reevaluate whether I'm doing the right things in an operation. And we mentioned that we had done mediastinal lymph node sampling prior to the surgery. Do you perform a full mediastinal lymph node dissection in all these patients as well? You know, I know that the, the data suggests that the role of the sampling versus the uh, dissection um, is debatable. I, I think that the standard uh, is you should hold yourself to is a full mediastinal lymph node sampling. Um, and, and again, the main reason is that we're trying to identify patients who will benefit from additional therapy. So postoperatively, our patient undergoes the right middle lobectomy, is uneventful, and he does well. He recovers as expected, and he's discharged home on postoperative day four. His final pathology demonstrates a 2.5 centimeter adenocarcinoma. <clears throat> Surgical margins are negative. Nine lymph nodes were examined with no evidence of metastatic disease. Does this patient require any further adjuvant therapy? No, I don't believe this patient requires any additional adjuvant therapy other than routine surveillance, which it should be stressed that he should have, as well as continued smoking cessation uh, efforts as well. If the patient ended up with positive surgical margins, I'm assuming re-resection would be required. Would you offer any further therapy in that patient? Um, it depends on where the, the positive margins were and whether the patient would actually tolerate the re-resection. So if it is a um, if it's a, a bronchial margin that's, that's positive postoperatively, um, I do think you can go back and perform a, uh, a bronchoplastic resection that would remove some of the additional lesions. If it's the parenchymal margin that is positive, it would matter which one, and I would, um, if the patient was physically fit enough, uh, entertain a, a re-resection, whether it's an additional upper lobe or a lower lobe. Uh, oftentimes we find, though, that the, the patients aren't able to tolerate significant re-resections and um, I think that additional focal treatment with radiation therapy in these areas can be helpful under certain occasions. In this particular patient, if the final pathology had instead demonstrated four out of nine hyalur lymph nodes that were positive for metastatic disease, how would this change your recommendation for adjuvant therapy? Lymph node uh, involvement to me is a, a sort of black and white marker for the need for additional therapy in the form of systemic therapy. Um, I don't uh, believe that if they are truly hyalur lymph nodes in the area of tumor that are positive, that additional radiation therapy provides any benefit. Um, but I do think that additional systemic therapy would provide benefit for the patient. So you would put this patient on adjuvant chemotherapy? Correct. In this particular patient who had negative uh, lymph nodes and a 2.5 centimeter adenocarcinoma, what would be your long-term follow-up plan and how would you counsel this patient on his prognosis? 
Well, I would, I would tell him that he has a, uh, an early stage, a stage 1B lung cancer, um, and that I'm, I would give him all the positive information of not needing any additional therapy. Um, and even, you know, there's a definable rate of recurrence for this lesion, but I, I hesitate to give percentages to the one patient that's in the room. I would stress to him that continuing any smoking of any kind increases the chance of recurrence. Um, and I would say that there is a high enough chance of recurrence that he needs to have uh, surveillance for many years to come. Um, I, I know what the recurrence rates are, but when you apply that to the one patient in front of you, I'm not sure that saying you have a you know 20% chance of recurring really helps the patient that much. And you mentioned surveillance for this patient. How do you surveil these patients and how frequently? I usually uh, will surveil them with uh, non-contrast CT scans of the chest using a standard screening protocol, which is usually three millimeter cuts. Um, I, I think it's important to maybe to hold off getting the first scan after surgery for at least three to six months. I think that the healing process after a lobectomy of any kind can um, can falsely increase your suspicion for uh, recurrence if you get the scan too early. Just the healing process alone creates abnormalities in the chest. And what I tell the patients are that this is um, this is their new baseline scan, and that nearly any abnormality found <clears throat> on the first scan after surgery is almost meaningless and that it's the, the changes over time that matter. And then the interval of the scans that I, that I, I use is that after that first scan, I will get a scan every six months for two years and then move to a yearly scan after that. Is there any role for PET-CT as part of routine follow-up in these patients? I don't believe so. I think it is, it is a, a waste of resources to use PET-CT to screen patients for early-stage lung cancer recurrence. Okay. Dr. Wyant, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me for the podcast. I appreciate it.